Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do in these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. And I hope you've been sharing these podcasts with your elders and pastors. Uh, These are targeted for people who serve in the church and who love the church. I hope that is everybody. Hey, today is going to be one of the more raw podcasts that I'm going to do. I'm going to start out by telling a little bit about my story, and then that's going to be followed by a message or a talk that Elaine, my wife, gave to a group of women in Wisconsin this past summer. It's an outdoor event, so other than the introduction, uh, the quality is not the best. You'll probably have to lean in a little bit and play around with your dials. Hey, I did all I could on my end (laughs) to try to get it to uh, sound good. And I think it's uh, it's going to be okay, but it's a it's a moving story. Uh, we've been on a journey for over 20 years where things uh, really turned upside down for us. Uh, we went on the assumption into marriage and into ministry that life will be good, and it has been good. Uh, but certainly, we did not expect that my wife would uh, fall ill to a serious brain tumor that had gone undetected, and when she had been operated on. Uh, just to save her life in Liverpool, England, and she will tell you her perspective of that story. Uh, We never knew the battle that she'd be in in, uh, because of this. Uh, She lost her abilities to communicate, uh, cognitively process things, to read and write. But hey, guess what she started doing about a year ago? Texting. So I am thankful for the iPhone. It has helped her to communicate with others in in a written way, which is absolutely marvelous. We're so excited about that. Uh, But again, we don't expect these things when we start out early on in ministry and in our marriage. In fact, I am going to be reading the first uh, chapter, the introduction. It's really brief, so don't feel like you're going to be sitting here listening to a narrator reading a book on Audible. That's not the case at all. But just wanted to give you some context on uh, Lane's talk and uh, also uh, hopefully to give you motivation to buy my book. (laughs) But that's not what this is about. Uh, But anyway, we live in Toccoa, Georgia. We've been here for nearly three years. And prior to that, I served as a pastor in Franklin, North Carolina for seven years. That was our hard ministry in the 33, 34 years that I pastored. Uh, In the midst of, uh, or in the transition from there, we were in Augusta, Georgia for one year where we saw some really cool things happen. We were asked to take a church that had closed and transition transition that church into a church plant. But instead of that happening within a year, two other churches that were independent joined the denomination I work with. And this group that I was leading that I, we were hoping to start a new church from ended up morphing into these new churches. So we high-fived each other and went ahead and went back to Franklin, North Carolina, where we had a house that was still for sale. And, you know, usually around this time you start thinking, okay, what do we do next? We are in our mid-50s, early to mid-50s. And if you know a pastor or you are a pastor, you know when 
you're done with one job, well, you put your resume out and you look for other opportunities. And it means starting over again. It means beginning new relationships. It means transition for the rest of the family. We had two kids that we had custody of during that time. Uh, that had happened back in Franklin, 2009, a single mom in our church. Uh, at her deathbed, actually, asked if we would take custody of her two kids. So we were their parents until they graduated from high school. But they had a couple of years left, or at least the, the daughter did, before graduating. And so we were back in Franklin trying to figure out what to do next. And I also knew that it, um, it'd be a lot for Elaine because she had been caring for her mom in 2013, the year we were in Augusta. She was suffering from Alzheimer's. And I just sensed that uh, the, the timing was right for us to transition to something else. And that's when this idea of this ministry started to blossom. I had had this in mind some years before where I would be in some kind of ministry where I was providing support and encouragement to other people in ministry. I don't know why I had the arbitrary number of 59. I thought when I was 59, I would go ahead and transition into this and that would be my life, that would be my retirement. Well, at the age of 53, when we were in this uh, transition between ministries, uh, light bulb came on. I met with some really good friends that I've been partnering with in a church planting initiative, and we would collaborate together. And after about four or five months, we had hammered out our vision statement, our purpose statement, and these guys, some of my best friends, became members of my board. So that's the ministry, Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, that, that came out of all that. So uh, quite fascinating that uh, the story that Elaine's going to tell picks up in Toccoa, Georgia, in a sense, and wraps up here in Toccoa, Georgia. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read to you the first introduction. This is uh, probably going to be a rather lengthy podcast. And if you do what I do, the beauty of podcasts is you pause it, Go do other stuff, and then later in the day or two days later, you think, uh, oh, I forgot I still need to listen to that podcast. And you don't have to start over. You don't have to rewind anything. You don't have to pick up the needle. You just push play, and you keep can keep listening to it. So here's what I wrote. Uh, this is the introduction to my book, Surviving the Fires of Sorrow. This is really the second edition uh, I updated the book after about 15 years because my youngest son, in the meantime, had also uh, been diagnosed with cancer when we left Wisconsin to move to North Carolina. And so I wanted his story in the book. And uh, so there you have it. All right, here it is. It was a warm afternoon as we stood together at a spot overlooking a beautiful lake near our home in Northeast Georgia. Elaine nestled her head on my shoulder and reflected on the first day that she had met me nearly 20 years earlier, not far from where we, where we were standing. Are you still glad that we got married, I asked. Yes, came her quick reply. She still struggled to speak and in her own way said something to this effect of, but would you have done it differently, Mitch, if you had known what we would have had to go through? Without pause, I pulled her close to me and assured her, as I often do, Elaine, if God had been, would have forewarned us with every detail of all that would happen to you and to our son Travis, I would have done the very same thing. She smiled and we resumed our quiet reflection in that idyllic place overlooking that lake. 
The events about which I, I write really begin on July 23rd, 1983. The moment my wife and I pledged our devotion to each other in marriage, we committed our lives to the Lord for him to do with us as he pleased. It was in this expression of covenant love that we agreed to accept sickness when we preferred health, poverty when we would have much rather have wealth or not have turned down wealth, and turmoil when we would have much desired peace. Later, when Elaine was being operated on and fighting for her life on June 6, 1998, the surgeon came to tell me that she had little chance of surviving. When someone hears such words, the waiting room becomes his only world. There, is that, there in that confine, I found myself pacing, praying, making phone calls to solicit as much prayer support as possible. As I sat there, I found myself drifting in time and remembering the words I had said at an altar at the front of a church nearly 15 years earlier. The power and significance of these words suddenly took on meaning as I never knew before. While we long for our lives together would be filled with happiness and uninterrupted joy, this is not the way it's turned out for us. We say such words so routinely at weddings, don't we? I remember listening to the pastor as he guided me through those ritualistic statements and thinking, would you just get on with it? I want to kiss her. <laughs> but now, now I find myself beginning to place new significance in and give new relevance to those words. There in the hospital lounge, those words suddenly meant, meant something. And they resurfaced from the deep memory bank of my mind to become a beacon for what would turn out to be a very dark path. Mitch, will you love and cherish Elaine for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health? Right there before God, I vowed, Lord, whatever you have in mind for Elaine, I want to say right now, I accept it. If, if you want her, you can take her. If you keep her here and she needs help, I will help her. You see, when I married Elaine and said these words, these vital words before God, we both committed our lives to serve him. And we were saying, God, you are inviting us to do whatever you want with us. You are invited to do whatever you want with us. It was a pledge to serve God together, not simply to serve each other or to fulfill personal happiness through a relationship with that person. God had brought us together so that we would be useful to him together, not alone. We're finding that how he carries that out is up to him. And sometimes it will be in ways that we would never have chosen ourselves. In loss, the pain runs deep. God does not ask us to not deny such pain, but he does give us the provision to overcome it. This book is a testimony of that provision. It contains letters from me to both my wife and my two sons, but they are also letters to myself. They are letters filled with personal and hopeful, worthy observations, hopefully worthy observations of what leap, uh, deep, <laughs> excuse me, love deepened in pain is like. And then I conclude that chapter with words from a popular song by Keith Green. I pledge my wife to heaven for the gospel, though our love each passing day just seems to grow. As I told her when we wed, I would rather be found dead than love her more than the one who saved my soul. I'm going to go ahead and transition now and have you listen to Elaine's story as she shared it to a group of wonderful friends and women in Wisconsin last summer. And there'll be a good introduction first, and then you'll hear Elaine come up. And again, 
the quality is not the best, so I'll try to do what I can to tweak that before producing this. But I think uh, you'll hear well her heart, which is well-tuned. <laughs> so enjoy. All right, well, it is my extreme pleasure to introduce Elaine Schultz. And Elaine loves life. And you probably read a little bit about her bio. bio. If not, don't do it now. I know everybody's starting picking it up. Don't read it now. <laughs> she is best friends with Jesus. Now, I know you all think you are. Well, I guess she thinks she is, too. So her favorite words are joy, loyalty, and friendship. And so you can read about the rest of her bio. Lots of ups and downs in this woman's life. And there has been a constant, however. And that constant has been her love of the Lord and acknowledging his sovereignty in everything. That has given her a sense of peace. Elaine and her family served in England as missionaries for seven years. And many came to Christ during this time, during their work. Some of you may remember Elaine. Elaine and her husband, Mitch, were at our church where he served and was an associate pastor about 12 years ago, before some of our time. But anyway, she came all the way from Georgia for tonight, where she lives with her husband, Mitch, and her dad. She loves kayaking, spending time with her three-year-old granddaughter, Honora. And she loves being able to share. She's a counselor by trade, so feel free to talk to her afterward about any questions you may have. All right, Elaine, would you come up here? And we're going to pray for you and then have you. Thank you guys for being here tonight, and I hope you're having a great time. So I hope that doesn't come back to watch us. <laughs> um, she was just saying that as far as missionaries. So what does that make you think about a missionary? It's somebody that's sent to a foreign country, okay, um, it has to be a preacher, a teacher, somebody that's teaching the gospel, God's, God's word from the Bible. It's a special job that comes to somebody that's sent by other people to go to another place to carry out God's word. It comes from the Bible. It comes from his word, the goodness of salvation that all of us can have if we have Jesus Christ in our hearts. For me, it was an exciting thing for me to become a missionary. Something as I had found out about God, had asked him into my heart, and as I kept learning and growing to be sent out as a missionary. My husband Mitch and I lived in Texas, and he was a pastor there and went through all the, this is with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, going through the system and having to go to a home assignment, like through the church. We had to be through a church there. But he really was a pastor of the church. And we thought, when's it going to happen? Well, things started happening. My son Travis was five years old, and Brianna was two, and we got the good news from Colorado Springs saying, we're ready. We're ready to send you. We're sending you as missionaries. They let us know that we were going to England, which if we wanted to make this a funnier night, it was to talk about different English words and American words, but we don't have time for that because it's actually quite funny how many they are so different. We went there, and I told you at that time we lived in Texas. Now, any of you guys know anything about Texas? Anybody ever lived in Texas? 
because as soon as you live there, you walk in and I say, hi, I'm Elaine, my brother, my sister, my sister, my brother. I tell you everything about everything. I tell you my, my husband. I tell you about my job. I tell you about my shoes. I tell you about everything. Well, guess what happened? We're busy, busy, busy. We're saying goodbye to people. We find out that in England, none of our plug-in things would work. So we're having lots and lots of garage sales to get rid of everything knowing that we couldn't have a queen bed there. We had to get smaller things. So that couldn't go. So everything is going. And at that time, I babysit two kids. So I had two of my own, and I was paid to be a babysit with two other kids in my neighborhood. So it was really busy saying goodbye to people, having parties, people that were in kind of a nice way. They were happily sending us out as missionaries. So they were... It wasn't like a sad thing that Mitch was leaving, being their pastor. It was a very positive sending us out. And so we were very, very, very busy. Um, when we were getting ready to go, I remember, look back, a very special song that um, one of the ladies sang at our final last night at the church. And it's quite an old one, but I'm going to add age to my back then yeah but um about friends are friends forever that song friends are friends forever and it was just so meaningful because she was somebody that really had not known god and through me through my friendship with her that she and her husband and two children were very involved at our church and so it was just a really meaningful thing and she did that song as we were getting ready to go so like i said we had headed out to um, Indianapolis, which is where I was from, and that's where my parents were. And we had just so many suitcases that we were taking with us, important things like our bikes, you know, going to England, you have to take your bikes, yeah. So we were all ready, and so we got there to Indianapolis to say our goodbyes and families be there, and suddenly I said, you're really tired. I'm really tired. I just really want to go to bed. And so we're like, what's wrong with her? So she's like, I think we need to go see a doctor. So the doctor <laughs> came to see me and the doctor said, how old did you say you were? And I said, I'm 25. What? And he says, well, I just thought maybe a little bit younger. We got the results of your blood. And I have to tell you the news. You have mono and it's hitting you hard. How could I at my age have mono and I'm being sent to another country as a missionary, and all I want to do is sleep. I am so white. And so Mitch says, oh, honey, I'm so sorry, but don't worry. I'm going to give you a full two weeks to get back. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. <laughs> two more weeks, and we were all getting on the plane. We were being sent out under the Christian, Christian and Missionary Alliance, so it was a very supported group that was sending us. And they had told us that we were going to a town there in Warrington, England. I was invited to things because of my children. Travis was five and Brianna was two. And you need to realize that there in England, there are no school buses. So what happens? The parents take their children there and the parents pick the children up. There are no school buses. So it's time to go, and I sit there, and I'm getting my kids. Don't forget, I have mono. And I told you, coming from Texas, I would have been like, hi, 
hey, I'm so glad to meet you. Da, 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 da. I would have been just like this all the time. I mean, there's no way coming from Texas, you would have had to be that way. And yet with mono, I'm like, hello. Hello. And I'm waiting for my kids to come out, please. I want to go. So a lady walked up to me and she says, do you see her? And I said, that lady right over there. And that lady was an American and she was there as a nanny. I thought she was a very normal lady. I mean, from my side of it, I thought she was just a normal lady. And the lady said, I just can't understand. I don't understand her and I can't stand her. And I never say anything to her because she just jumps right in all the time and I can't stand it. <laughs> oh, wow. I said, how is it, Lord? Why did you allow me to go with mono? How could you have let me get that to a place where I didn't go that way because I was so white and I had nothing to say. And yet people there at the school immediately adopted me and they thought I was fine. It was very interesting. It was very interesting. Most of the things there in the town, they mostly thought I was from Canada. So I was definitely not showing to be a, an American person. So it helped. Yes, it was really wonderful. Okay, so then through my time there, we realized that after those six years, the CMA says it's time for you to go back to America and you have to go on tour to tell people about this and get you more support. And so we were like, it's almost that time. We told everybody there and weren't saying, we're just going to be gone for a while. We'll just be gone for a year, but then we'll be back. We were getting ready to go to several places right there from England for us to go on the shuttle over that we could go into Germany and we we're going to go to Paris and then we we're going to go to see his grandma there in Belgium. And so we got ready to go. And you guys are thinking, this must be Elaine. Why do I do things like this? Because this is going to be a little bit worse than my mono. <laughs> so we were getting ready and we went down and we went into Germany. We went into Black Forest Academy because Travis was going to be done at the regular school. So it was a matter of whether he was going to go into the high school for the last four years or if he was going to go to the school that a lot of the children from the CMA Christian Missionary Alliance kids, a lot of their kids go there. So we're like, what should we do? We're not sure. Well, let's go. So we're going to go there. So we went to Germany and we went to Black Forest and things were good. It was a great day. But the very next day, I suddenly didn't feel so good. I started um, throwing up and not feeling good at all. Um, I'm with it. Yes. And we went to see a doctor and the doctor looked and said, I'm looking at you to see there might be something showing in your eyes, a little bit of a damage there, or, and the doctor said, or it could be that you just have a tooth um, in your tooth. Thank you. That's the word. That's exactly what I'm looking at. Uh, it could be that. And so I could put you on this medicine and then we could see if you get better. So we did that. And I took the medicine and the next day things got worse. They got way worse. But we carried on to Paris, which is why we were going with our friends. We had not told the kids of their two kids and my three kids that we're all going to meet and go to Disneyland. They're in Paris. Well, I wasn't feeling so good. 
But Mitch went ahead and took the kids, and they carried on. They were totally surprised getting there to Disneyland, and their best friends were there, and they had a wonderful day. I just got worse. I just was going down and going down. My entire body was feeling worse. The next day, we drove to um, Belgium, which is where his grandma lives. And it was supposed to be a really major thing because he had several from his family were coming there to meet us. And it was supposed to be a major kind of a special time. We got there. She had made some soup. Mitch said that I took like a couple drinks of just a little cups of that soup and just started throwing up, throwing up, throwing up. And Mitch said, I don't know what to do with her. She's taking something. We better go. So he had to tell his family, I think we just have to go. We got into the car and started driving back to England, which we'd have to go under. That was taking a good nine hours driving all the way back to Warrington to our home. And that entire time in that car, I was totally just sunk into my passenger seat. And Mitch said, I don't know what's wrong, but something's not good. Well, you guys, that's what happened. But this next little part, I have to tell you, this is what I was told. Because all I remember is that we went to Black Academy to the school, and that's all I remember. I didn't remember anything further. I didn't remember the Paris and going in to see his grandma. Apparently, I just was getting worse and worse. And still to this day, I don't remember it. So Mitch tells me what happened. Um, He called for the ambulance to come and pick me up and take me, although I was totally unconscious as they picked me up took me there to the hospital to do a scan. And Mitch says he waited for nine hours to find out what was wrong. And apparently that has something to do with the um, social medical system, which I hope America does not become. (laughs) Because that's what we had in Warrington. It was on just that system. When they did, they found a huge, big mass right here on my brain and right there on my brain the water was shooting out from it which is probably why I didn't remember anything of that time they took me then into the car to Liverpool and went straight in to do the operation Mitch tells me that from what they told him and what he knows I probably would have had about 20 more minutes until I would have been dead dead at that point um so That's the true story. That's what happened. I'm going to tell you what I think happened because, like I told you, I don't remember that part of the story. Once we were in Germany, I didn't remember anything else. I was there. (coughs) This was really for real, but it wasn't real, but I thought it was real. Okay. There at the hospital there in Liverpool, I knew I was Elaine and I was a teacher. And I was a wonderful teacher, which is probably a lot of true because that is what I did there in through the church but I still thought I was a teacher and I kept seeing all these wonderful six little kids and I kept sitting there at the hospital in my room because I know I had been sick so the school had sent me there for some surgery so I sat there in my room there at the hospital and I kept seeing these six children and I kept saying wait a minute how come those six children they keep coming here like every day and they don't have any parents so why doesn't anybody do anything about them well 
I got another idea. Because I was a really good teacher, but there was this doctor that kept coming to see me almost every day. And I got this idea. Maybe if I get married to the doctor, <laughs> then they would let me adopt those children. And I just thought that would be a great idea. <laughs> Do you guys know that was really what was happening? <laughs> I suddenly started realizing that is Mitch. That doctor is Mitch, my husband. And I would like to have those kids because those three, the damage to my eyes, I was seeing sick. And yet it really was my three kids. Yes. When I was there, I had had the brain tumor. They'd had to do a very major surgery on it. Came with it, came a stroke, which put in me from anything to zero. Whereas Mitch, I could not say the name Mitch. His M-I-T-C, that just doesn't go together. So I just called him the man because I couldn't come up with all that to say it properly. I haven't was having seizures, which meant that we had to be dealing with medicine that I still, as of today, I still have to take so that I do not have any seizure. <laughs> you don't want me to be fainting any place. Yes. One of the hardest things for me is that I had lost my speech because I did everything and I, my talking was wonderful and I taught um, Sunday school, I had a ladies Bible study, I was so involved, I had a Moms in Touch that I was able to there in the town area which I could invite ladies, they would come with their children and I could literally preach and I could really tell the truth from the Bible, it was gone. I had started with zero. One of my only words that apparently I could ever come up with was dragon. I don't know where that came from, but dragon was the only proper word. It was really, really hard. Um, I was really sad because of my reading and my writing it was getting taken away from me. And to start over, it was really, but I started getting better. And like I said, within almost that two months there at the hospital, they were able to take me back home to our home there in Warrington. And you can see that it was a good, um, it was a good another three more months until the doctor said I was well enough to actually fly to get on a, because I was that bad. They said, you can't, you, she wouldn't make it. So we had to wait until they said I was well enough. The thing that was so interesting is I didn't quite realize that things weren't great because I just thought I was still saying things, but I know that my words weren't really right. And when we flew, when we got into the plane, when we flew back to Georgia, which is where Mitch's parents were, I realized, ooh, this is even worse because I keep telling and nobody's, and it was really really stunk because I thought, Lord, I've given you so much and I've learned so much. And why couldn't you go ahead and take me to go to heaven? Why do I have to stay here? Um, God does a lot of, lot of things, doesn't he? Um, he knows. And yet I would cry and cry. Well, I had to deal with it somehow day by day. And oops, I think I just missed one of my, this was a very important one I had to give you. Yeah. Well, we can't, um, I know through my mess up here. Yeah. Oh, here we go. This is what I really had to come to dealing with that in my tears and my upsetment and how am I ever going to get to get me from here to there? What I used to be, what I am now. 
This was something that was very meaningful to me that came from James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many, many kinds. Is that not true? Because every one of you has had to deal with something. I hope it's not quite the same as mine, but every one of us has to deal with something. And that's why um, James tells so much about that, because you know that the testing of your faith, duh, the testing of your faith, it gives real perseverance to stay with God, stay with him. Yes, it takes his faith. You have to have faith in God. And he's the one that will get you through it. He has to give you the hope that we all need daily things that are happening. Well, like I said, we got there to um, Tacoa, Georgia, and kids were going to start into the school. I was to start at rehab, which is where I realized my words were so bad. And I was going to be doing that. And about two weeks into it, um, we noticed that something was a little bit wrong with my oldest son, Travis. And at the school, and there was something a little bit wrong with his writing and his holding of his pen was a little bit off. Um, we were, noticed that he was such a soccer player that kicking the ball, his foot was just a little bit off and not hitting his ball, which is what he did all the time. And something was wrong. We went to go and see his doctor the first night they thought maybe he's just not had enough water let's get him plugged in here and give him more the next day things were not better so they sent us to a higher up doctor there in Gainesville they scanned him and then we found out there on my son Travis that he had a brain tumor that was unfixed right here on the back of um it was in op um there was nothing that could be done. They said, the cancer is going to take him. We don't know how long, but Travis is not going to live through this. For me, I thought, there's no way. How can it be my blue-eyed, happy game player, wonderful? This has only been four months after his mom. How could Travis get hit with this right after? But the doctor said, there's nothing you can do. So they had to start radiation on Travis and saying that the brain tumor is going to take him, but we can try to give him more time. So they did that with his radiation, having to drive all the way, have it done, seeing a lot of his um, strength being taken away, but it was really hard, hard to do. That March, I want to tell you something, in March, they were having a missions at our church, and we had gone, and many people were praying and having a special time with the missionaries. And in the midst of that, when they were praying, my son Travis went up to the front. And you say, what are you going to do? You know, a 12-year-old is going to the front. And um, it's because Travis wanted to go to the front. I am a missionary, he said. And I am a missionary now. I don't have to wait until I'm older and being sent. Travis said to me, I'm a missionary, and I'm a missionary now. Travis was 12 years old. One night we heard him, and we heard him crying, and we thought, oh, no, it's because of the you know, radiation. It's really hitting him, and he's feeling that way. And we said, what's wrong? What's wrong, Travis? And he said, um, 
no, 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 it's not pain. He says, it's because I've been reading this in my Bible. He says, there are people that they're without Jesus and they're going to hell. And it's so sad. And he says, we are all the ones to help them so they don't go there. They need to go with Jesus to be in heaven. So Travis was a total real missionary. He was very small. He was very uh, 12-year-old, but he was very meaningful to others. The missionaries there at the church, the um, elders there at the church, one Sunday wanted him to come to the front, and they wanted to pray for him to be healed. And they literally prayed and cried and asked God, knowing that God doesn't do it a lot, but that God can heal you. And they prayed for that. We walked back to our car, and my Travis said, I don't want to be, I want to see my Jesus. And then Travis got the biggest smile on his face, and he says, and my Nintendo is going to be so much faster there than it is here. He meant it. I want to tell you this from um, Paul, from our light in troubles. Um, okay, then, so, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. You guys, for us, this life is very temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. That's forever. That's heaven. Jesus loved people, and they loved him. My son Travis died in August on the 22nd. That was in 99 when he, that's from Matthew. Well done. Well done, my faithful servant. Well, it was a few, it was about six months later. And at the church, they were um, people that were being baptized. And there were people at the front being baptized. And there was a younger girl that was at the front. And they let people talk before. And she kept saying, he taught me so much. He told me that there was a Bible. I've been reading it. Um, he told me that Jesus loved and that he would help. And she said, he told me that Jesus would be my friend forever. You know, I just had that feeling, like just that feeling. Do you ever get that in your heart? And I kept thinking, who is it? Why is she not saying anything else? So she was baptized. And afterwards, I went to find her. And I said, who was this that you were talking about? She says, no, it was your son. It was Travis. He's the one that told me I'm doing this, and I believe it because he taught me this. So um, tonight, for you guys, who do you know, and who can you be for that, to be telling them? And it's so, so mean. So stand firm, each one of you, wherever you are. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work. Of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Heaven's forever. That's what we want to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a d difficult time for us. It was a very difficult time because I was trying to deal with my lost, my damage to my eyes, my able not to be able to talk properly, this, that, and the other. Um, I think somehow the Lord was very good to us. It was right after that and after Travis had been buried that we came here to Mequon, to the church. And it was the time for Mitch to be able to go back, not as the pastor, but as the assistant pastor, and for him, time for him to be healing. And for me to be going to rehab, 
there and going to Grafton three times a week, which was a wonderful thing to be working on my reading and writing. And it kind of was a, a healing time for our family. Um, that's probably why a lot of it with us being here today is that my youngest son, Brett, has been baptized right here. And my dad had been here from Indianapolis and prayed for Brett when he was being baptized here. So it's a, it's a very special thing for me to be. Um, so you guys know that we had our third child, Brett, that had been born in England. If you're not born here, you can't, well, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be president here. <laughs> so uh, Brett can't be, yeah. So he was born there in Warrington, England, where we live there. Brett was baptized here, like I said, and it was a very healing place for us. Somehow, after six years, somehow things happened and somebody got a hold of Mitch's name and they were ready for him to come back to be a pastor again. And so we had gone to North Carolina to candidate and my son Brett stayed here. Where's Kathy? She's sitting yet right back there. Brett stayed with Kathy at her house and Kathy, do you remember? It was just like a very unusual, a lot of the kids were like growing up. It was just like major at the school. It's just, they're all throwing up all the time. So Brett was here at her house and throwing up. <laughs> and uh, the problem is a lot of kids got better and Brett still was not, he couldn't stop throwing up and throwing up and carrying into it. We went to see the doctor and the doctor said, you can, you can imagine, the doctor said, oh, I know what it is. I had a really hard time because my dad made me move when I was a child. I have never dealt with it. Brett is probably feeling exactly that same way. And so Brett said, well, okay, doctor, that's what you feel it is, then okay. So the doctor put him on a medicine and we kept trying it. And Brett still, even worse, was throwing up. And there just seemed to be something really, really wrong with it. Some of you guys would remember that it was actually, this was three months into that from he first was throwing up that we took him into the hospital um, in St. Mary's. Is it St. Mary's Hospital? And we could see, looking inside in the x-ray, that it looked like he had a tennis ball right there. I could see it inside and we said this is more than just emotionally of having to move to a new state there is something really major wrong and they had to take him in there at the hospital to get inside there to do a full surgery to get that big tennis ball that was running right over his colon and of course what do doctors do yay things are great the next day but we hate to tell you, it's Burkitt's lymphoma cancer. He's going to have to have chemo, and it's going to be really tough on him. Burkitt's lymphoma cancer goes in four different levels. And we want Brett to be able to win on So Brett had to go through that. The thing that was tough, Mitch had already taken that new job there in North Carolina. We just had to wait long enough until Brett was done with all his chemo going through all that and for some of you guys that's when we were living up here at Stapleton's house because we'd already sold our house thinking we were moving and yet uh, it didn't get to go that way it didn't at all Brett would tell you though my son Brett God has used that he has dealt with that so so well he is so 
meaningful to other people because he's had to deal with losing his brother, his sickness of his mother, and then dealing with his own Burkittsonville. That Brett is a total God believer and shares that with other people in just a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, i got to give you a verse for that. For he says to me, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect. That's how we have to keep our focus on it. Um, therefore, I will boast any of more gladness about my weakness so that God's power may rest on me. That is why for God's sake, I desire in weakness um, through these hard times. Yeah. All right. So I had to share those stories. I told her, I said, I can't just talk about being missionary because this has been too much and how it took away from what I got. God has to use it in me now because I've had to deal with my sickness, losing Travis and Brett dealing with this. And I think in a lot of ways, because of the changes that had happened to Mitch from when he had been a pastor and things had been taken away, although being here in Mequon, it was perfect healing for him, but it was such a change for our lives. I wish that my life had been perfect. I wish that each one of you had a perfect life, but guess what? We know we're not going to get it here, not in this life. It's not like that. It's hard and it's difficult. The good thing is God is winning and you get to be on the winning team as you. Um, What I wanted to do is just we're going to finish kind of with our verse that's on the end of your page. And I think you're going to go ahead and bring that and we're going to pray that. And also I want to say if there's anybody that I can help you to pray with you or to uh, encourage you that makes sense for things that are happening in your life and i just really that i want to see all of us learning and growing in jesus okay well there you have it thank you so much for listening to this episode of the before you quit podcast hey we'd love to hear from you if you want to contact us or even want to write elaine and encourage her after Having listened to her story, you can do so by writing or emailing us at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. And I love how Elaine ended up with this verse as well. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.